Welcome to the Night Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Lance. And today's show is a new bit we're doing uh, when we get to our long-form show here, hopefully soon. Uh, we'll cover that in a second. It's going to be called Sporadic Cinema. And what it is, I have a really cool app on my phone um, called My Movies Pro. Not endorsed or anything. I just, I really like them. And I use it to keep track of my thousand plus movie collection. Well, what's cool about it, uh, like most collecting apps, is you give it a good shake and it gives you a random title. Uh, we're probably going to do this with comic books too. And I thought it would be neat to kind of, and so, you know, we always talk about what's in theaters, what's in theaters, you know. Talked about the Batman, we've talked about Black Widow, um, Morbius comes out in a couple of weeks. But what about older movies? And, you know, this way you can kind of get a peek into my collection. Like I said, there's a lot of them in there. Uh, and I, I think it'd be really neat. And today's movie that we're going to talk about is X-Men First Class. So starting off with a doozy. I'm really excited. But before we get into that, uh, a couple of housekeeping things real quick. Like I said, when we get to the long form show, we're working on it. Uh, the new studio is, is still a little ways away. Full disclosure, in the last four months, my wife, I had to get a new truck. My truck died, uh, like dead, dead. So I had to get a new car. And then just a couple of weeks ago, my wife was in a wreck and they told her car out. So we had to get her a new car. Uh, and then all of our plumbing went haywire. So we had to have like half the house replumbed and everything and have uh, all new concrete work done and electrical work. And it's been a fun few months. Um, but hey, you know, could, still got a roof over my head, got food in my belly, probably a little too much food, actually. Uh, I need to holler at Danny over at Pop Culture and get, you know, the, the, that diet plan he, he's rocking over there. But, you know, there's there's a lot going on, uh, but we're working on it. And I just wanted to be transparent. You know, you can go back six years ago, and we've always been about transparency. Also, other setback, while we're talking about setbacks... Apparently, we can't use Audacity anymore. It's a uh, open source, free audio recording tool that I've used since day one. I love it. It's easy to work. Um, it has all the bells and whistles that I need. Well, rumor has it, not rumor has it. I mean, there, there's reports. They sold to a, a company. And while it's still going to be free, now the company is like, hey, we're going to collect all your data. Like, stuff that an audio recording thing does not need at all, they're going to have it. Because for government and police purposes, quote-unquote. Uh, no, I don't mess with that. I mean, why? So this, this recording is being recorded on WavePad. We'll see how this goes. I'm, I'm curious. Um, so far, so good. I've played with it a little bit. If you know of... a good alternative to audacity by all means please let me know in the comments below because um this one i mean it's a completely different interface i'm gonna have to learn something no matter what but we'll we'll see how this goes so far it, it, it seems fairly comparable and i'm excited but anyway sporadic cinema x-men first class uh this movie i i remember seeing in theaters i remember when it came out i was really really excited because you know, it was a, a soft reboot, which is something that, you know, happens in comics a lot. Uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. 
So we'd already had the X-Men trilogy with X-Men coming out in 2000, which um, along with Blade kind of laid the groundwork for the big franchises. And you had X2 in 2003 and X-Men The Last Stand in 2006. Um, and then you had X-Men Origins Wolverine in 2009. So by the time First Class came around, the X-Men franchise was not in the best place. I mean, The Last Stand, you know... Looking back, I, I'm, I'm torn because Brian Singer did such an amazing job with the first two. And he wanted to do X-Men 3, but he wanted to do Superman more. But now we know Brian Singer's kind of a dirtbag. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But Brett Ratner's not the best director. I mean, you know, Rush Hour's fun, but whatever. Uh, and then X-Men Origins Wolverine, well... Ryan Reynolds has a whole franchise making fun of that film, so we'll leave that. So, fast forward to 2011, and we get this announcement of X-Men First Class. And it's going to be young X-Men. It's going to be set in the the 60s and tell us the origin story of the X-Men. I was really excited about that, you know, because the X-Men movie... It was kind of a... That was the origin of the X-Men. This is more the origin of Magneto and Professor X, which is a great dynamic. Um, you know, they're wonderful, wonderful characters. But the bar was set really high with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen as Professor X and Magneto. So what what was this film going to be? What was it going to bring? And I remember... They announced, you know, Matthew Vaughn was going to direct it. And, okay, I was I was on board with that because I loved Lair Cake. You, if you're a long-time listener, you know I talk about Lair Cake all the time. It's such an amazing film. So it put Matthew Vaughn really on the board as a director. Uh, before that, he had just been a producer for, like, Guy Ritchie movies, like Snatch and Lockstock, um, and, and swept away. So... That put him on everybody's radar. It also put Daniel Craig in the... I, I honestly think that's the movie that got Daniel Craig James Bond. He has a little James Bond moment in it. And it's just a whole lot of fun. Uh, way more fun than a movie about a retiring drug dealer should be. But it, it's wonderful. And he had also done Stardust. Which was... I mean, it's Neil, Neil Gaiman, so it's okay. And he had done Kick-Ass. Well, Kick-Ass was one of those that just blew everybody away because it was, uh, you know, really one of the, again, people overlooked Blade for some reason, but Kick-Ass was one of the first new age R-rated superhero movies. So, you know, he established that he could live in that comic book world, but also tell amazing stories with, like, Lair Cake and the Guy Ritchie stuff. So I was, okay, cool, sold. Um... And now at this point, I mean, he's pretty much made a living on comic book movies because, I mean, I guess Stardust is wasn't a comic book. It was a novel, but Neil Gaiman's a comic book writer. Uh, that's a discussion to have. Is Neil Gaiman a comic book writer or a novelist? I don't know. But, you know, he did Kick-Ass, First Class, um, Kingsman, Secret Service, Kingsman Golden Circle, and The King's Man. All of those comic book stuff. So should be, he owes a lot to comic, but he's a comic book fan, so, okay, I'm on board, then we get into casting, you know, they start announcing who it is, you got 
James McAvoy as Professor X. Um, and you know, McAvoy, up until that point, he, he kind of been all over the place. You know, there was uh, both like indie films. I mean, he was kind of an indie darling by by now and but he had done some big stuff too like like wanted another comic book movie i would say probably atonement is what really made him famous uh you know you can't really count i wouldn't count wimbledon uh, oh forgot about narnia though narnia was kind of like oh hey who is this little mr dumbness guy okay uh, life king of scotland a lot of people overlooked but it was a really solid movie penelope is really great too. Uh, becoming Jane, like I said, Atonement, uh, and so you know he was a guy that was like, all right, all right, well we'll see what what's up. Now we know that he's a phenomenal actor, and not just in the X Men roles, but you look at, uh, at you know Split, um, Atomic Blonde, is you know The Glass, uh, It Chapter Two, stuff like that. He's just really really great. But when it was announced, I was, okay, I'm on board. You know, I'm a huge fan of Sir Patrick Stewart. So I didn't think anybody would be as good as him. But I was hopeful about McAvoy. Uh, you know, just thinking he, he would be okay. And then on the flip side, in the Magneto role, you had Michael Fassbender. Who, uh, again, relatively new. You know, he got started in 300 and then he was in Inglorious Bastards and Jonah Hex and Jane Eyre. You, know, you see you see a lot of similarities between him and McAvoy, you know, comic book stuff and some uh, old timey like Charlotte Bront Bronte, Bront, depending where you're from. Uh, and again, same thing, we know he's a phenomenal actor now. Even in Assassin's Creed. I loved him in Assassin's Creed. So I, I didn't really know what to think, but I wasn't against the casting of of the two leads. And then they threw in Kevin Bacon as a bad guy, which I think was very, uh, kind of not ahead of its time because we'd already had Iron Man and stuff, but, you know, Marvel MCU proper, I guess I should say, is notorious for casting great actors in the villain role. And, you know, that way they're kind of one and done. And Kevin Bacon here, Sebastian Shaw, I was like, heck yeah. You know, growing up reading X-Men comics, I I love the Hellfire Club, and I was curious to see what they do. Now, Kevin Bacon is great in this movie. Is he a good Sebastian Shaw? No, not, not really. Um, he, he doesn't have, like, the colonial look, or the powers are a little different. It, but Kevin Bacon's awesome. And then Rose Byrne can be in anything, and I will watch it. She's wonderful, but especially as Mara, it was great. Uh, J-Law, Jennifer Lawrence, kids call her J-Law, I've learned. As Mystique, turned out way better than I could have hoped. Um, I mean, you got to say, Kevin Bacon was the most famous person going into this film. But Jennifer Lawrence was probably a close second. Uh, you know, by now, she'd already been... In a, in a few things. By the time X-Men came out, um, she was in, like, Winter's Bone, uh, like crazy. It had been announced that she was going to be in the Hunger Games. So she was 
really the topic of conversation. And, uh, you know, filling in for Becca Romaine's shoes. And, and that's the thing, you know, those original X-Men are so iconic because they were, you know, like the first big superhero franchise. Um, sorry, Blade. And the, these three roles especially. And then Oliver Platt, wonderful. Um, and then, you know, like Azizel was... I can't say Azizel was misused, you know, because his role in the comics, in the Chuck Austin comics, was kind of weird and convoluted. So having a nice little board wipe with him was, was nice. Zoe Kravitz, our wonderful Catwoman right now, as Angel. Beautiful. Just stroke of genius putting her in there. Um, Caleb Landry Jones as Banshee. Banshee is one of my favorite X-Men. A lot of people don't know that. I mean, but he's probably like top 10, maybe top 5. Um, I always talk about Cyclops and stuff, but Banshee's definitely up there. He did wonderful. Uh, Darwin, again, I, I feel wasn't necessarily used to the best of his ability, but he, he's almost like the token mutant in this. Uh, uh, but it's okay. I mean, that that's not okay, but Eddie uh, Gathegi did a, a really good job. Lucas Till as Havoc. You know, now he is a pretty big deal. You know, he'd kind of done kids' films and stuff. Um, you know, before uh, Hannah Montana and Spy Next Door and stuff. But now he's on uh, MacGyver. He's the main MacGyver guy. And he's in Blue Mountain State and things. So kind of turned into a pretty good, pretty good role. And then, you know, just the, the rest of the cast. Um, Alex and uh, Gonzalez was good. Uh, Nicholas Holt is Beast. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I like Nicholas Holt's Beast better than Kelsey Grammer's. And I love Kelsey Grammer. I, I may be a little biased right now because we've been watching The Great. We've, we finished up both seasons of The Great. And Nicholas Holt is just wonderful in that. So, with this cast in place, I was like, okay, what, let's do it. Let, I'm excited about this. I want to watch this movie. Let's let's see what it's all about. And the movie it comes out. I remember I go see. Uh, this was were we still having midnight showings back then? Because it. Let's see. Um, so back in the day, kiddos, there was we used to do midnight showings on Thursdays before a movie came out. Uh, no, we weren't doing midnight showings at this point. We were doing like Thursday evening showings. And uh, midnight showings, you go Thursday at midnight and watch the movie. And it, it was a lot of fun. That was back, you know, before you had assigned seating in theaters. And you had to get there early and camp out to get a good spot. And all these things. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. But this was a Thursday. The Dark Knight stopped all that because of the theater shooting that happened with that film. Um, yeah. So then they went to just Thursday evening. Because I guess the evenings are safer than nights. I don't I don't know. We're not, we're not going down that rabbit hole. But... I remember seeing it with some friends uh, opening or Thursday afternoon, evening, and I walked out and I was like, man, not only is that a great X-Men movie, that's a great superhero movie. That's a good movie, like all around. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, it played on all 
the, your X-Men staples so well, you know, about being hated and feared and about Magneto wanting revenge. But we got to see, like, the actual people, you know, the Nazis that uh, abused him and used him as a test rat and stuff. That was, that was Sebastian Shaw, come to find out. And his just war path of vengeance, um, rampage, as Archer would say, you know, you root for the guy. He's chasing down Nazis. I mean, of course you're going to root for him. It's it's wonderful. And But then seeing, you know, Professor X come in, and Professor X being, trying to be like this smooth, suave scientist guy, which that's a interesting <laughs> combination of words there, but he, he works. And his dynamic with Mystique, again, kind of retroactively going over it and things, uh, you, you want to see these characters. You want them to work out together. You want to see everything. And as the movie progresses, when you see their dreams really start to get pulled apart, it harkens back not only to the original X-Men trilogy, but the, the comics too. Because you know, you know these two guys are friends. And you see them be friends. And you see them training this next generation. Uh, you, know, you could argue that they're the first generation. And so then the next generation... And it's weird to have the next generation and not have Patrick Stewart. But anyway, you see them develop this school and this team. And Magneto, Eric, sees more and more of the abuse that his people are getting. Um, we, we see like racial injustices too. You you see all these things. And I'm, I'm on record as saying, you know, not all villains need to be sympathetic. Not all villains need redemption arcs. But... You kind of sympathize with Magneto here. Um, but then you also sympathize with Charles because, you know, he wants, they both want to make the world a better place. They're just going about it in different ways and they want their friend to see that. And this movie, taking a full movie to explore that dynamic is it, just beautiful, you know? It's kind of like the, the Uncle Ben trope or the Thomas and Martha Wayne trope, like... Alright, we're going to get that scene in every Spider-Man and every Batman movie where Uncle Ben gets shot and Thomas and Martha are going to get killed. And everybody's tired of it. Because we've seen it a hundred times, but we've only seen it for five minutes. And I think that's why... I'm, spoiler, I'm about to spoil a movie that's a few months old. Uh, in No Way Home, when Aunt May dies, you know, we've had a few years to build up and to get to know her and love her. And, oh my god, now she's gone. You know, Uncle Ben, he's usually in a few scenes. And it's like, oh, well, it's Uncle Ben. You know he's going to die because that's what they do. The Brian Michael Bendis in the Ultimate Comic Spider-Man spent a whole arc getting to know Uncle Ben before killing him off. And so that's, that's why I think this works is, yeah, we know Professor X and Magneto are enemies. Yeah, we know they both want the best for mutant kind in their own ways. But taking... A full-length film, you know. Uh, I'm trying to run the runtime on this thing. It was like uh, just over two hours, you know, to explore that and and follow them on their journeys. It makes that breakup, for lack of a better term, because uh, it's not a betrayal, you know. It really is an accident, as like what goes down. Magneto's blinded by rage and tries to deflect the bullets, and then one hits Charles and paralyzes him, and all these things, and, you know, your heart just drops. 
You know, the whole, you know what's going to happen. I mean, the whole movie, you're, you're like, well, I know Professor X ends up in a wheelchair. That's no secret. But even that's something that, outside of the 90s animated series, hasn't been explored a whole lot. Um, so that was kind of kind of cool to see that. You know, seeing these little things that we hadn't seen before add so much to these characters and, in turn, to this film, uh, which, which just makes it wonderful. And... Your payoff, you know, like I said, you know what's going to happen. But when it does happen, I remember my heart just just dropped. I was like, oh my gosh, there it is. Uh, because that's the, the turning point. That's where the X-Men and the Brotherhood part ways. And going forward, you know, that, that moment can never be taken back. Even in Days of Future Past, when they time travel and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's... These things can't be undone. And so it's something that hangs over uh, both their heads. You know, when you see that heartbreak, you see that what Xavier almost uses betrayal. He said, I'm not using the word betrayal coming from how I interpreted the film, but it's, oh, it's it's just such a good movie. You know, you get your character arcs, you get your action, you get your special effects, you get your team building uh, the the sequels are a different story. We'll see what shakes up on those. But X Men First Class is one of my comes as probably some of my highest recommendations. Like I said, not as a not just as an X Men movie, not just as a superhero movie, but just as a movie as a film. It's incredibly enjoyable. I I love it so much. Um, I'm glad we got to start on this. I was again for full disclosure. I thought about being like, oh, it was Fight Club or oh, it was Tombstone. But I, I knew you would see through it. And so then I was like, well, when I shake it, even if it is Fight Club or Tombstone, I'm, I'm probably going to change it. And I honestly don't think I could have, I mean, aside from those two, asked for a better film to start sporadic cinema with. So I hope you enjoyed this look into my film collection, uh, getting me to talk about one of my favorite movies. I own a lot of movies that I don't like. And we'll, we'll get into those at some point or another. But uh, if you like this thing, please let me know. Let me know in the comments below here on SoundCloud or on Facebook. Find me on all social media. Just look for The Night Nerd. Check out my Substack, thenightnerd.substack.com. I go in there and just talk about stuff. Sometimes it's like tips and tricks on writing and podcasting. Sometimes it's free comics that I've uh, written and stuff. Other times it's just me talking, uh, nerding out. And it's it's a lot of fun. You know, and I, as always, I couldn't do any of this without all of y'all, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, so that does it. Thank you so much for the for listening to the first episode of Sporadic Cinema. And like I said, if you have a better title, let me know. I kind of like I like alliteration, so we'll probably stick with it. Uh, oh, email me. Almost forgot. People still email, right? nightnerd at thenightnerd.com. Otherwise, that does it for me. Again, my name is Lance. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time.